Hi and welcome to another episode of Dawncast. I'm Dai Lee. And I'm Cathy Ngo. Look, we would have all seen the negative impact of COVID-19 on many businesses such as entertainment and venues, travel, holidays, retail. But what about restaurants? Will the restaurant business survive this pandemic? We speak to Melbourne restaurateur and CEO of Kalia, Jason Chang. Jason, thank you very much for joining us. I know you're very, very busy in Melbourne at the moment. Welcome to the thank show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So how are you, first of all? How, how are you managing? Trying to survive um, right now is a very difficult time, um, especially in Melbourne where we're under stage four lockdown and, you know, not having any customers in the store or anywhere near the stores are really affecting us. But, um, you know, we, we know we have to do this for the greater good and to curb the virus. So we're just trying to hang in there and hope the numbers drop as fast as possible. And are you still open or what sort of changes have you made in order to keep keep the momentum going? Yeah, we're still open at the moment. We're doing takeaway and home deliveries. But Kalia, about 25% of our sales is actually our retail grocery, um, gourmet grocery side. So that has a strong online presence. So that's still going as it is. But obviously, it doesn't make up for the fact that, you know, I'm in the two, I guess, most premium shopping centres in Melbourne, um, Emporium and Chadston. And we depend a lot on tourists and customers who are shopping just to walk in. Um, but without that trade, we've suffered like, I think, 99% fall in in-store sales. Wow, and 99%. Yeah, 99%. Um, so it's not, you know, 90%. But takeaway has made up some of it, but it's only making up maybe 10% of our actual sales that we would normally do anyway. Um, and, you know, Uber Eats take 30%. So you're not really a, uh, making actually, uh, you know, any money from it if the delivery companies are taking 30%. So I guess for us, it's just trying to keep people employed. Um, JobKeeper does help slightly, but in the hospital business, a lot of employees are overseas and international workers who are not eligible for it. And a lot of also casual workers who are also not eligible for it. So this is probably the main problems we're facing right now. Yeah, um, I think that the restaurant um, industry has taken a, 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 a huge hit, wouldn't you say, um, Jason, in terms of this whole COVID? Um, and, and as you said, Melbourne in particular, now that you're in stage four lockdown, my God, um, <laughs> how do you manage it in terms I mean, of, you know? The sad part is, is that when you walk around the city now, and you see all these for lease signs on restaurants and cafes that were there, you know, at the beginning of the year. They were flourishing at the end of 2019, but they're now all for lease. And I've been called by literally, you know, every real estate agent and landlord in town to see if I want to take space up. But the thing is that, you know, you just can't at this moment in time. And it's sad because people don't realize that when a restaurant closes, families and jobs are ruined as well. And I think that's the major effect. Small businesses here in Melbourne especially make up such a great part of what Melbourne is. And we have been forgotten. Um, you know, it's a situation where people are trying to band together to support each other, but there's only so much you can do. I think it's already August. Um, yeah. When we first started the shutdowns, was March or April, I remember. But, yeah. you know, what business can survive six months with no cash flow? But... You know, landlords are still pursuing for rent. Um, 
and you still got to pay rent, which is a fair thing. Landlords are suffering as well. So how do we find a common ground is, you know, a difficult question. But a lot of retailers and restaurants especially just, just won't come out of it. I've been told and you know, many other of my restaurant owners, uh, my colleagues, have said to me they won't reopen after this. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your restaurant? Because I hear that it's very special. It's not just um, it's not just Asian food, but there's a lot more to it. Can you share with our listeners? Sure. So Kalia is a restaurant and uh, grocery, a gourmet grocery uh, brand in Melbourne. So we have uh, two stores here: one in Chadston, one in Emporium, and we have another store in Kuala Lumpur and one opening in Jakarta um, towards the end of next year. So we are primarily, um, I guess I'd say, modern Japanese. Uh, so we have a Michelin star chef, Francisco Araya, who created our menu for us. So the whole purpose and why we started Kali was to use the best local and international ingredients and put that on a plate for you. But we really wanted to highlight and showcase the quality of the ingredients. So we have Wagyu from Robins Island, down in Tasmania. Um, we have truffles from Red Hill. We have Ikura uh, salmon roe from Yarrow Valley. And But we also have the best, um, the Rolls Royce of Wagyu, which is Japanese A5 Wagyu from uh, wow. Japan. So, you know, that, that's a premium <laughs> dish. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a heart attack last time I had that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not in the mouth. Um, so for us, the whole idea is that you can come and eat at Kalia, but then you can also go to our retail side and buy those ingredients to cook at home. So you can buy the beef, you can buy the sauce, you can buy the plate to go with it, the rice to go with it and cook it at home. And I mean, we opened in 2014, I'm sorry, not 2014, 2016. So since then, well, right before COVID, we were serving about 10,000 customers a week across our stores. Um, which is a significant amount. That's nearly half a million people a year coming through our doors. Wow. Um, obviously, it's changed since then. And that's Melbourne alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. You recently said in the Cinnamon Herald that, I mean, you, you know, you're describing here amazing gourmet dishes and I'm food. I'm getting really hungry right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you were speaking at, uh, on the Cinnamon Herald recently saying that Asian food is aligned to a perception that it is cheap. So yes. uh, is that what you're trying to do? break that perception that it is not cheap and that you can get quality gourmet Asian uh, cuisines and dishes and groceries? I mean, if you think about it this way, tortellini. To Asians, that's just wontons and dumplings. Um, <laughs> yes. It is. A uh, restaurant here in Melbourne will cost you $30 plus. So $5 each maybe, more. But wontons here, you know, max you'll pay is... $12, $13 for a bowl of wonton soup, even though the same amount of care, effort, and love has gone into hand-making these wontons. And as Asians, you know, we uh, spend our childhood making dumplings or wontons, and that's what reminds us, reminds us of home. And But it's quite sad because when you see the amount of, um, I guess, people complain when they spend money on wontons, but when a big-name Western chef makes wontons, he can all of a sudden sell it for $20 for four of them. Whereas a Asian who is in an Asian restaurant with an Asian name, when you sell wontons for $20, you know, people are not going to buy it from you unless you put some sort of cheese in it or make it really fancy, but not, not quite fancy, unless you add ingredients to make it more Western. Like, but like putting kale or something on it. 
Yeah, and I'm trying to change that perception here by saying Asian ingredients are premium. You're paying for what you get. My customers, there's a bowl I uh, sell. It's called the Ultimate Bowl. It has um, uni from Tasmania, uh, sea urchin. It has the ikura from Yarra Valley. It has the wagyu from Tasmania and foie gras from France. And it is an Asian dish. The flavors are Asian. And I'm trying to say to the market, this is what we can produce quality ingredients. We sell that for $69, I think it is. Um, and we sell more than, you know, I think more than 10 a day in each store. So customers really want good quality items now. And as an Asian restaurant owner, that's what I want to do. I want to say to the world, you know, we have what it takes to really show the world Asian food is good and is a high quality standard. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're launching Kuala Lumpur next year, uh, which congratulations on that. Um, oh, and also Jakarta as well. Um, how are you feeling about that? And also, like, do you have any advice for other restaurateurs who want to expand um, during this period? So we opened Kuala Lumpur in June this year, so about two months ago. Okay. Um, so I guess what we did, we, we started a brand in Melbourne, and what I'm very proud of is the fact that Melbourne was known around the world as a real great food city. Um, I think after the COVID, it's going to change. People aren't going to view Melbourne the same anymore because the cost of doing business here is massive. Um, people don't realize how expensive it is to actually run a business in Australia, to open a business, to build a restaurant. Yeah. And even buy equipment, it is ridiculous. Like the chopsticks I have to buy here cost me like a dollar. But in Asia, the same chopstick costs 10 cents. Um, so it's just really expensive. So for us, when we were approached to enter the malls in Malaysia and partner up with a local partner there, you know, we jumped at the chance to say that, well, you know, a brand that was born and made in Melbourne can really grow international. And that's what I'm probably most proud of. And my advice is at the moment to those in Melbourne who are looking at expansion is just survival mode right now. Um, as bad as it sounds, but it'll get better. I think just keep things going, focus on what you're good at doing, focus on the customer, giving the customer the best experience, the best value, and making them know that you appreciate them. And that's what we try to do at Kalia, try to show each individual customer that we appreciate them shopping or dining with us. And, you know, people have many options nowadays. So I think part of what we should all do as restaurant owners is really team together and work out, okay, how do we bring people back to Melbourne and back to the city, for example, to really go, okay, Melbourne's a food city again. And that takes a lot of work from the government as well to help us. I mean, we've got stimulus that doesn't go anywhere near what's enough to help our um, businesses. I think they give us $5,000. $5,000 doesn't get you very far in, in yeah. Australia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so what, so what gi has given you the confidence um, you know, to still go ahead with the launch uh, in Jakarta? So with Jakarta, I guess, you know, what I'm trying to show my staff and try to show people here as well is that there's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, COVID, hopefully, there's a vaccine that's found soon and, you know, it will end eventually. And I'm trying to show the community as well that after that, we can rebuild ourselves. We can pick back up and families can meet again. Families and friends can meet at restaurants again and dine with each other, have fun, drink together, laugh together. And I'm trying to create that hope. I think by opening these stores, by investing my you know, own money to make sure that we can look to the future. And 
I have a new Emporium store that's opening um, next month in the middle of the CBD during lockdown. Um, there's 100 jobs there alone in the middle of the city that uh, we'll be providing through that store alone. And people said to me, why are you still opening a store during COVID, during lockdown? I said, because, you know, in the end, people will come back. People need to go out. And also, I see the look on my staff's face when, you know, they say, oh, are there any hours I can work? And I, I'm heartbroken when I can't give them the hours. But knowing that the customers support us and knowing that I can re-employ my staff again, you know, it means the world to me. Can you tell us a little bit about your backstory, actually? Um, maybe we should have asked that in the <laughs> beginning because um, how did you get into hospitality? Was it that your parents or something had a restaurant? Um, what, what's the so story? My, um, my, rel- my relatives, my grandfather immigrated to Australia in the 1940s and 50s. So how it worked is that my dad's side, they had some of the first Asian grocery stores in Melbourne, um, in North Melbourne and in the CBD, Chinatown. Um, in the 70s, as well as Queen Victoria Market. And they also opened one of the first Chinese restaurants in St Kilda um, called Ferry Stork. So I guess the food and restaurant business has always been in my DNA. And yeah. I started off selling, um, you know, I went to the market, Queen Victoria Market, 3 a.m. with my father to sell vegetables, to sell fruits. And I go and deliver ones with him to the restaurant. And you see the restaurant owners and then it's like, oh, this is quite interesting. Especially as a child, you get free food, you get some fried rice and, you know, it's just delicious yeah. uh, as an as a eight-year-old child. And, I mean, my father died when I was 12, unfortunately. And it was one of those ones that left quite a severe impact on the rest of my life. Um, you know, I was quite depressed for a while and I didn't really know what to do in my life. But then I sort of look back at my heritage and you go, okay, well, they started off selling fruit, vegetables, um, wholesaling to restaurants. And that's what Carly eventually started doing. We um, imported gourmet ingredients from Asia to Australia and we exported gourmet ingredients from Australia to Asia. Then my partners and I said to each other, why don't we just, you know, offer it direct to the public? So we weren't actually going to open a restaurant. We were going to open a gourmet grocery. Then we met Francisco, our Michelin-starred chef in uh, Singapore, and we said, okay, let's do something together. And I guess that's how we started the restaurant. And we didn't know how it'd go, to be honest. We um, didn't know people would pay for truffles or A5 Wagyu. We didn't know if people wanted to spend $69 on a bowl of rice in a shopping center in the middle of the CBD. But luckily, we were proven wrong, you know, our fears were proven wrong and you know to this day we have queues from between two to three hours for lunch seat and hence why we're expanding in the cbd as well uh, to a bigger store so what fueled you or what's still fueling you do you think in this uh with what you're doing i think ultimately in the end as a child of, of immigrants we come to australia or our parents came to australia looking for a better life and looking to do something and I think seeing how hard our parents worked and their parents worked, we also say, okay, we don't have kids to work that hard as well. But, you know, what fuels me, I guess I have a daughter and I want her to be proud of her father in the end. And that's not just through business. Um, the past few weeks we've been giving out care packages to um, disadvantaged, the elderly students who, you know, don't have any form of income. Um, the disadvantaged, especially who don't have $10 in their account and we'll be giving out care packages of masks, food, sanitizer to them. And that's what actually fuels me. It's giving back to the community that's provided to us. Um, I want my daughter to be able to say in the end, oh, my dad did a lot 
for the community. He didn't just own restaurants and sold good food. I want her to be proud of her father. And I think that's what's changed since she was born um, is that fuel is now different to creating a successful business to say, you know, Melbourne has what it takes to build a business, a global brand to, okay, what can I do to contribute to society now? That's mm. quite, it's quite different since when I first started in the business world. No doubt, no doubt. And, and you would have re received or got rejections along the way, I have no doubt. Many rejections? Many. <laughs> many. I mean, landlords didn't look at us when we first applied to enter their uh, stores. They would ask, who are you? Um, we had a landlord who we applied to open the first Carlia store at, um, and for, I think, nearly two months, they didn't even get back to us. And then, you know, because they're like, well, who are you? What are you doing? What are you trying to open? Nah, your product won't sell. Um, but vicinity centres who owns Emporium um, and Chadston and a lot of other shopping centres around Australia, they actually backed us quite well. Um, they put their faith in us, especially, you know, the leasing manager, Damon, he really put his faith in us and gave us a go and said, okay, I'll give you a go at Emporium. And we were shocked. Emporium was the premium shopping centre in Melbourne. Um, and the shopping centre we tried to go into before wasn't very premium. And thank goodness we went in there because right now I think there's like 90% occupancy. <laughs> it's not a very good centre. Like it's in the CBD, but yeah. it's not a good one. Um, so I would say, you know, even suppliers would reject us. They would be like, oh, I don't supply small stores or small restaurants. And now they're knocking on our door every day going, oh, can we please supply you? So rejection is, I think, what makes us stronger. We learn from it. We learn from failures. Um, I failed in business before. Um, and we learn from it. We grow. And you don't learn from success. You learn from when you fail. Mm -hmm. I, I keep on saying that over the years. Embrace failure and walk yeah. with fear yeah. hand in hand. Hand in hand. Absolutely, absolutely. You can never um, rebuild yourself and you appreciate things more when you've, you know, lost it all and you've failed. Mm. Mm. I mean, not I mean, everyone can be the same as you and have that resilience. So how did you build that resilience? Was it like business mentors or reading a lot of books or what was it that kind of shaped you the way you are and to deal with all these adversities? I guess I would say, you know, my wife. <laughs> um, Behind every great man, there's a greater woman. Is she standing right next to you or something? <laughs> Losing my father um, at 12, I really didn't have a father figure in my life. And my grandparents and all that were overseas in Malaysia. So it's hard. And they speak Chinese. I only speak English, unfortunately. Um, and I didn't have a mentor exactly to guide me or teach me. My mum, you know, is a nurse and she worked five days a week. And to this day, she's still working on the front line. And having such strong women in my life really showed, you know, me how much resilience there is. Like my mum had to raise three kids on her own, you know, on a nurse's salary and put us through school and feed us, especially, you know, after losing a husband. And that showed me, I guess, resilience in the end. Um, but also having my wife beside me, marrying her was the best thing that, could ever happen to me. Um, she's the strength in my life. She supports and guides me no matter what. And I think I'm a very, you know, lucky person to have met her. And, you know, I think as funny as it is, was any books or mentors. It is naturally just my mother and my wife. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's, um, you know, 
sometimes, I mean, I, I can relate so much to your story as well. You know, growing up in a single parent household, I, I, I too lost my father when I was very, mm. very young. So it's funny, isn't it? W- watching um, the people around you, y- your mo- your mother, in my case, my mother too, and um, and kind of and the the journey that you have been through um, and experiencing loss at such a young age, you have to then just rebuild yourself. Um, right. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny, I mean, I, I've, I've only in later years have I looked for mentors, but probably like yourself growing up, you have to just do it, don't you? Um, yes. Do you see the value of mentors now, though? Like, would you, would you reach out to a network of people in your network of business to support you um, uh, as well and to grow your, your business and to grow yourself? Yes, absolutely. I think mentors are extremely valuable. I think, you know, especially people starting off on their journey in the business world or the corporate world, having a mentor to really give them advice and to guide them, especially through stressful and problem periods, you know, is helpful. Um, You want someone to be there with you to, you know, sort of make you feel more comfortable as you fight the fight of your everyday, you know, battle. And I would always want to be in a position where I could mentor someone or help someone if they required or ever needed. And I think, you know, mentors nowadays are what sort of encourages the next generation of entrepreneurs and business owners to go out and pursue something. And mentors can teach them their failures and what they're being through, not just success. And I think everyone is focused on success right now mm. and less failures. But like I said before, I think you really learn from failure. <laughs> Are there any sort of highlights in your um, restaurant journey besides like, you know, opening up the new stores, but was there a defining moment, maybe like a guest experience or something like that, that like you just can't forget? I think it would have to be, there's a particular VIP guest who we have. Um, She works in the city and we have uh, tracking on all our guests as in like you put your phone number down and your name down. Uh, when you want to see it at our stores. So we're able to track how many times customers have been to our stores. And this particular guest came to Kalia in the city 52 times in three months. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought you can say 52 nice. times over the year, uh, 52 weeks, once a week. Yeah. No, it was, it was 52 times in 90 days. And oh, wow. it's like it's more times than I've actually been to the store. <laughs> um, and I guess that is what in the end ultimately shows um, the value of our brand to customers because she treats it obviously as a everyday dining place. And people sometimes think, Kalia, you only have expensive items. That's not true. We have Wagyu sukiyaki bowls for $16. And that's it. You know, you come in, have your meal, have a coffee and go. We also have, like I said, the expensive bowls that are $70 plus. But, um, you know, to see customers come here so often and line up, and wait half an hour to three hours for a table. That's what probably shows me how, you know, how much we've done with Kalia. And to this day, I want to keep growing it. I want to be in a situation where I can serve more customers and I'm expanding my retail area so customers can have that experience at home as well. So, so we've just asked about the highlights, but what about, yeah. have there been some really dark moments, some moments when you think, how do I continue on this journey to build this business? Absolutely. I mean, this year itself has been particularly hard for us. Um, you know, we have a Chinese restaurant. We had to close it permanently because of COVID. Um, we faced 
a lot of racism actually. Um, when COVID first started in January, it was seen as the you know Chinese virus. Um, anyone who was of Asian heritage was seen as you know a carrier of the virus. And I experienced this. I experienced racism while driving to my store. Um, someone wind their window down and shouted at me and said, "You know, you're the reason why the virus is here. You bought it here." Well, I'm like. I'm, I'm born here. There's no way I've bought the virus here, but you know, I haven't been overseas lately, but not just that. I think my staff have faced it as well. Physically, they've been pushed on the street and yelled at and said that, oh, you're the virus. Gosh. So I think, you know, seeing them come to work upset and trying to make them feel better and go, you know, there's only a small minority of the population who view it this way. Unfortunately, they can be quite vocal. So this year has probably been the most difficult and hardest time of, you know, our business career and our lives just trying to i guess get through it is hard but my training special unfortunately we had to close it because of the situation customers you know we had bookings for chinese new year of 200 um tables overnight when covid was uh the news came out about covid we went down to like i think 50 or 40 bookings so it just dropped overnight wow that's six months of so you're talking about for next year, so the cancellations for next year as well in 2021? The one that just passed. Just passed. So, you know, that was in January. So can you imagine what we've gone through since then? So we made the decision to close it because it's just not sustainable anymore. And, you know, that's probably – this year has been a real tough time for us. But we have hope. Like we're converting that restaurant into a Japanese barbecue and grill, um, which is – you know what you see now? This is where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. Uh, we're converting that to, you know, also a, of a more value sort of offering for our customers. And I guess I'm a positive person. I try to turn negatives and downfalls into into positives. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, no matter how successful you may be, you will always go through failures still and you will still learn. You always grow. And as long as you can accept and understand, you know, those failings, I think you'll be stronger for it. Are there any tips? Uh, where do you draw your strength for? And you've got a wonderful wife, supportive, and your mother. But, mm. uh, you know, like th through these dark moments, uh, do you turn to anything like meditation, uh, calming music? Do you do yoga? What do you do to fill up your own cup uh, to, in order for you to carry on and continue to, to remain positive? I mean... That's a, that's a good question because coming to think about it, I don't actually do anything for myself. I don't actually you don't meditate. Fill your cup. You don't fill your cup. <laughs> Come to think of it, I actually, I actually don't. Um, I think because you've yeah. got fabulous food, like you've got Wagyu every day, <laughs> probably like have a shot of sake every day too. <laughs> I mean, of course, you know, I enjoy a glass of wine and, and some whiskey, but I, I think, you know, coming to work, and really looking at what we can do to, I guess, like recently we've been giving our care packages. We've been giving, I've been driving myself personally to, you know, doctors and giving them just some care packages just to say thank you to them. And I think that's what's probably been filling my cup lately. Uh, just trying to give back. Like we've worked with the Malaysian consulate here to, we're planning to give out a hundred care packages to Malaysian students who are suffering right now. Um, and at the moment, that's what's probably giving me a lot of happiness is giving back to those. Mm, yeah. and because I get a lot of personal messages to my social media asking, you know, for help. And, you know, some people said to me, I've got $10 left in my bank account. Um, I don't know how I'm going to buy 
food tomorrow. And I'm like, you know, come to Kalia. We'll give you some food, give you some tissues, give you some masks and some sanitizer um, just to help you. But a little bit. I can't help, you know, a huge amount. But as long as I can get you through the next few days, you know, if you need more help, then just come back. And that's what's probably giving me the biggest satisfaction right now. Well, somebody has to also look after you, and you have to look after yourself, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a holiday after this is over, we can fly again. <laughs> Make sure you fill that cup of yours. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, look, thank you so much for your time, and really appreciate you sharing. And I hope Melbourne. I know that today's news is that the cases have gone down. Mm. Um, and I'm really hopeful because the whole news around COVID in, in Victoria is really just not killing Victoria, but I think it's killing the whole of Australia. It is. It's uh, killing everyone. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just still wondering why. I, I, I still don't understand why that's the case. Um, mm. I would love to explore that conversation. Don't know why is it that Victoria is getting all of these cases. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, I think um, all of us are wondering why as well, and we just can't wait for it to drop. Yeah, yeah. So, um, look, thank you so much. And um, that's uh, Jason wishing you well, and good luck with the opening in uh, Jakarta. And let's hope that e Eating Out will be back soon in Australia, because I know that there are other restaurants that have, uh, and, and eateries have been Im greatly impacted. Uh, yeah. We're going to have... Um, the CEO of Restaurant and Catering on Wes Lambert uh, in on, on, on Dawncast uh, as well in the next few weeks. So we'll let, get to hear from him in terms of from the industry perspective how that's going. Yep, that's very good. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you and thanks, um, thanks for your time. So that's it from us uh, at Dawncast. And I, if you like um, to support our you know growth, please click the bell below and subscribe to our channel. I'm Dai Lee. And I'm Kathy Ngo. And see you soon. See you later. Bye. You better turn up. You better be there when I shake. Watch me rocking if I can't stop.